This is episode 64 of the 99 Forever podcast. I'm Eric Friesen, and I have two of my favorite guests joining me tonight. They are the co-hosts of the Oil on Ice podcast in Brazil, Gabriel Cangido and Diego Pontes. Welcome back to the show, guys. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be here again, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here with you as well, Diego. And of course, let's. Uh, it's always good to talk about the others, talk about the great fans as you are. And it's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, my pleasure too, Eric. Hello, guys. Hello, Gabriel, again. So it's going to be a fun night, you know, to talk about Oilers and other things going on. You know, so I'm very excited to be back again. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's been almost six months since we were all able to record a podcast together. So I'm glad to have you guys back on for a new episode tonight. But before we get into the Oilers, I want to start by asking you about the 2022 FIFA World Cup, since you're both big soccer fans. Uh, Did you expect Brazil to go further than the quarterfinal? And what did you think of Messi finally leading Argentina to a World Cup victory? Gabriel, you can start us off tonight. Uh, yeah, of course. I I thought Brazil could go even further. Like it was so so difficult to see the team was winning, were winning in the in the overtime. Like four minutes to go, one nil, and then the team just simply decides to go full attack. I don't have no idea why. I will never know. And then they suffered the 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 Croatia goal that draw the match, and then they lost on penalties, but. I don't know. I don't know. It's we. I believe we could have beaten the Argentina. We could uh, go further, beat France as well, and win the sixth World Cup. But it was tough to see Brazil losing. But it was even tougher to see Argentina winning. It's like seeing the the Calgary Flames being the Stanley Cup champions for us. <laughs> I right. have a feeling. I, I have a friend here in Canada who's a big uh, Brazilian soccer fan. She moved to Canada from Brazil in 2011 and. Uh, I'm sure talking to her, it, she feels the exact same way about uh, Argentina winning. <laughs> and uh, Diego, uh, what did you think of uh, how Brazil played? And does winning a World Cup make Messi the greatest of all time, in your opinion? Well, I don't think he's the, the GOAT. Yeah, but he's among the greatest for sure. You know, I'm very happy for him. He really deserved a, a World Cup. You know, championship, uh, and it, it it's good for us as football fans, you know, to see a great player like him win a World Cup. It, we expect the same that happens with Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl in the future. You know, we expect that because we're witnessing greatness. You know, and we had this chance to witness Messi playing lights out during the World Cup. So he really deserved that title, uh, in my opinion. But for Brazilian people to admit that, you know, it, it, it's kind of hard for us to admit that Argentina was the best team, as Gabriel said, you know. And, and to admit that Messi was one of the best players, um, you know, it, it's not an easy thing to say. I'm sorry for <laughs> I can all imagine. of those hockey fans you know from argentina but you guys had a once in a lifetime opportunity to see your team 
uh, being champion again. It's not going to happen any sooner. <laughs> I'm just trying to bring some fire here to the conversation. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> you know, but uh, I, I believe that Brazil could have had a better result, a better outcome. It didn't happen. And we got a trauma. You know, four minutes left to the game to be over. And then we suffered a tying goal. That was like a kick in the nuts. You know, I'm so sorry, guys. But it felt really bad. Yeah, Brazil has a great team. It has a great potential of moving forward in the future. You know, maybe the next World Cup will be better for us. The odds are better. So we have a great team, great players. So I still believe we can win. Another World Cup soon. Yeah, the last well, World Cup Brazil uh, one was in 2002, right? Yeah, that's it. In South Korea, I think Japan and South Korea. And, and Eric, you're asking about uh, the if Messi is the greatest player for us. It's like, uh, you, you know the answer. It's just see who will disagree with you first. But we always like, uh, I think Diego as well, we, we always say that Pelé is the... It will be the, among the greatest or be the greatest of all time. And even, I don't know, Maradona could be could be noticed. But but talking about Messi, he's a great, one of the greatest among one of them, for sure. But the greatest, you'll never hear it from our mouths, I think. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like getting uh, Calgary Flames fans to yeah. kind of compliment any of the Oilers' top stars. It's <laughs> sort of like pulling teeth to make that happen, right? <laughs> um well look that that's awesome you guys uh were able to still watch the tournament and uh, i'm sure brazil will go farther in the next one uh for me i was just happy to see canada qualify for the world cup for the first time since 1986 and because we are one of the host countries in 2026 it was just announced this week that canada automatically qualifies for the next world cup too uh, so that's great and it's just a shame that there won't be any games played in edmonton because Commonwealth Stadium is the largest stadium in Canada with over six, uh, sorry, with over 56,000 seats. And also Canada's star player, Alfonso Davies, is from Edmonton. And that would have been a once in a lifetime opportunity for him to get to play in a World Cup match in his hometown. But I guess FIFA wanted to go with more major cities across North America. And I get that. But, you know, they, they did host some matches leading up to the World Cup. Uh, in the past year and a half and they were sold out and there are a lot of soccer fans in Edmonton so um, it just would have been really cool if the the men would have had the chance to play there because I had a chance to actually attend a women's world cup match between Canada and China in Edmonton back in 2015 and you could just feel the energy from the crowd and how passionate it was so I just thought it would be cool for the the men's national team to have that opportunity too. Yeah, I think uh, Canada had a, a match with uh, Mexico, I think. It was like in the snow, in the winter. It was like you a saw great that, match. Yeah. I watched it. It was like a great match. Not only because it was in Edmonton, but it was a, like a, a key match to the to the qualifiers. And it was great to see it. Of course, it will, it will happen in the summer, the, the World Cup. But even that, the Commonwealth Stadium seems to be awesome. And really, Alfonso Davis could, uh, could have been playing... Uh, uh, World Cup match uh, in his home city, but uh, the United States got uh, a lot of uh, a lot of stadiums are only on the United States. But 
It's good to see Canada qualified, even if it's automatic, and Mexico as well. It will be a, a fun World Cup in a different location. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up too, because I remember that match. I think it was in November of 2021 when Canada played Mexico, and I want to say that they they beat them, that Canada beat Mexico two nothing. But the Oilers actually had a game the night that uh, uh, that match was going on, so I only saw the highlights after. But I, I think the one thing that everyone remembers about it was the celebration after yeah. Canada scored all diving into a pile of snow, which you rarely see on a <laughs> soccer pitch. But I think that just kind of made it feel even more Canadian. Now, and as usual, I think we have to start by talking about Connor McDavid, who picked up his 100th point of the season in a 5-4 shootout loss to the New York Rangers this past Friday. And then he recorded his 800th career NHL point in a 4-2 come-from-behind victory over the Philadelphia Flyers at Rogers Place last night. McDavid also recently joined Wayne Gretzky as the only players in NHL history to record multiple 15-game point streaks in a single season and seven consecutive 60-assist seasons. Diego, McDavid has been the most dominant offensive player in the world for many years, but never quite to this degree. What can you say about the season he's had so far? So he's been amazing, Eric. He's been, he's been proving everyone that he's one of the greatest, greatest of all time, you know. So it's his 60 consecutive season with 100 points if i'm not mistaken can you uh, not consecutively the, there was a season in 2019-20 when the pandemic shut down oh, the nhl right. early he had 97 points in 64 yeah. games so really i mean yes. he would have easily had three more points that year and and would be at seven consecutive uh, hundred yeah. point seasons by now unfortunately but still six 100 point seasons by age 26 is pretty impressive it's unreal. So he's he's a wizard with the puck. He's one of the best, you know, players that have ever, you know, played the the game. It, it, it is amazing. It, it is. It feels amazing for me to be part of this moment. You know, as an Oilers fan from Brazil, you know, uh, me and Gabriel, we, we're witnessing history being made by Conor McDavid, and we we really hope. And on behalf of all Oilers fans, uh, I, I'm pretty sure everyone wants to see him lifting the Stanley Cup, just to reward, you know, all of these efforts, you know, and unreal point production that he does on a night basis it is amazing eric i i have no words to describe how uh how conor mcdavid can impress me you know because all of his moves the way he thinks the game the way he passes the puck it's it's unreal man it, it, it's it's out of this world you know i think he's an alien and nobody can prove me wrong. <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah. Uh, Gabriel, I think most Oilers fans have come to expect this type of otherworldly production from McDavid by now. But, but does it still amaze you how quickly he reached 100 points this season and 800 points in his career? Yeah, he never ceases to amaze us. When you think, no, that's the top. He can't be better than that. He's, all, he's the greatest. And then he goes and 
prove you wrong, prove us, for all of us wrong. Man, 100 points in 60, uh, in 56 games, like it's amazing. As I said, it could have been the, the seventh uh, season with 100 points if it wasn't by the, the pandemic one in 2019-2020, you know, which we recorded only and by quote only 97 in 60 64 games uh he's the fastest to to get to 100 since himself in 20 2020 2021 and he did it only in 53 games i think 50, 56 i'm sorry 53 uh, two years 53? ago yeah it was 53 so i was right anyway both of them are great in 53 uh like is this uh only Crosby, I think, has six seasons, like the, the ones who are actually the ones who are playing uh, right now in the NHL. And he did it in eight, 18 seasons. Conor McDavid did it in eight so far. And he has like a lot of a lot of points to do, a lot of improvement, a lot of seasons in the highest level ever. So it's great to see McDavid. We we are witnessing history. And as Diego said, as everyone thinks, um, uh, everyone wants to see Conor McDavid lift in the, the Stanley Cup soon. He deserves it by any means. He's one of the greats. He's already in the Hall of Fame of the hockey, and he isn't even in the in the middle of his career, I think. But and let's hope to see it soon because the the time to win is is right now with McDavid and Drysad and other Oilers great players. Like if there is one that can take the Oilers to, to the Stanley Cup. For sure, it's him. He's, he's our modern Gretzky. <laughs> so I want to see our modern Gretzky lifting the cup, as Gabriel said. You know, everyone wants that. Oh, man. It, it, it's going to be huge when this happens. And I'm sure this is going to happen. And Eric, I still believe Ronald McDavid will score 192 points, you know? <laughs> And a season, I believe that he has been increasing his point productions every single year. So maybe it's just a matter of when and not of where. I never forgot that prediction of yours, and I hope that it does come true eventually. Um, and, and Gabriel, like you mentioned, two years ago, McDavid had a season for the ages when he reached the 100 point plateau in just 53 games. Uh, he also had 72 assists that season. And there was only one other player in the league that even eclipsed 70 points, and that was his teammate, Leon Dreisaitl. And despite putting up 105 points in only 56 games, his critics said that McDavid's numbers were inflated by playing in the weaker Canadian division. However, the Oilers are now back to playing against the entire league, and McDavid is still producing at virtually the same rate. Uh, he's on pace for 148 points in 82 games this season. But considering that he always elevates his game down the stretch drive, I think he's going to hit 150 points. I mean, right now, the gap between McDavid and the next best player in the world feels astronomical. He could easily win the scoring title by more than 30 points, which hasn't been done since Wayne Gretzky in 1990-91. Uh, McDavid also became the fifth fastest player in NHL history to record 800 points last night, reaching the milestone in just 545 games. But what makes this accomplishment even more remarkable is that he missed nearly half of his rookie campaign with a broken collarbone 
He's also played through two pandemic-shortened seasons, and yet he was still able to reach 800 points before the end of his eighth NHL season. Uh, And since he entered the league in 2015-16, no one else has even reached 700 points. In fact, there's only seven players who've even hit 600 points during that span. So I think that really illustrates how much better he is than all the other superstars in the league. No, the gap that's between Conor McDavid and any other player in the in the NHL in the world, I think it's huge. It's really like it's it's huge, as I said. And he never ceases to amaze us, as I said. Like he always proves that he can be better and better and better. Always, always. It's it's like he is our our modern Gretzky. When they ask me like 20, 30 years in the future, I can say that I saw Conor McDavid playing with the Oilers. I hope to say I saw him lifting the World Cup in Edmonton, but but it's great to see him playing. Like it's it's amazing. He and think about it. The the second player with the most points, of the best, is Andre Seven. That is the Edmonton Oilers as well. We are living like in a after that really really hard decade that we had with the Oilers in the 2010s until the end of the decade. We like we deserve to see some magic happen and to see how McDavid is great. The the last game against the Philadelphia Flyers, which was yesterday, uh, it's a perfect example. The first and second period were were tough to watch. the The offensive side it was really really hard. When in the third period, just McDavid uh, did his magic and they are just overturned the match with a great display from him, especially on the second Oilers goal that tied tied the game. And that's just what he can do in every season against Canadian teams, against American teams, against any team in the world. He can be the the greatest. And uh, Diego, what did you think of McDavid's performance in the third period last night? That was great. Uh, That was so important. As the captain of the team, he needed that performance, you know, to boost the team's confidence and then bring that win. We needed badly that win. So I'm so glad that he stepped up his game, you know, and he brought everyone around him him to to be better, you know, and win that game. Those moves, you know, he did uh, between the two Flyers players was out of this world, you know. That move specifically that he, he spins around, you know, he... It's almost like a spin, you know, and he gets rid of two Flyers players. That was. I wish he would have scored on that play. For those who didn't see it, go look it up on YouTube. McDavid is basically skating backwards towards two defensemen and is able to pull the puck between his feet and go separate from them and and get a scoring chance out of it. I don't even think I'm doing it justice describing it, but uh, that probably is. It, it, it would have to be up there in the top five moves that I've ever seen him pull in the NHL. Yeah, that that was out of that this world. Yeah, I I I got amazed when I saw that move. You know, and all those plays, the milestones that he reached. You know, uh, at that game yesterday, he's so important to this team's success. You know, I I mean Leon Draisaitl also. It's as important as him, but McDavid is the captain. He drives the team, so it's it's 
his team. So when he steps up his game, I'm sure the Oilers have a better shot at winning the game, you know. So it was it was an amazing effort, and I, I'm so glad, Eric, that we 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 can watch that. You know, we we can see him playing this way, playing this well. It, it's such a treat, you know. And I'm glad that he got his hundredth point of the season and 800th career point, both at home in front of the Oilers fans. Uh, I, I think of Leon Dreisaitl's two 50 goal seasons. They were both on the road. So the Oilers fans didn't get to see it live in, in at Rogers place. And I hope that when Connor also eventually scores his 50th goal for the first time this season, that it will be at Rogers place too. And also McDavid by reaching a hundred points in only February, joins Bobby Orr, Wayne Gretzky, Dale Howard, Chuck, and Mario Lemieux as the only players in NHL history with six 100-point seasons by age 26. And if you really think about it, since we we talked about the fact that uh, the pandemic cut his 2019-20 uh, season short, he really should be at seven right now, um, which makes it even more impressive. And just going back to last night, while McDavid's 800th point made most of the headlines, Leon Dreisaitl also recorded his 700th career NHL point, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins established a new career high in points with 70 on the same power play goal. Gabriel, it seemed fitting that McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Nugent Hopkins would all hit a milestone at the same time, doesn't it? If it was a movie, I would say, no, no, it's too much. On the same goal, on the power play, no, it's, uh, it's too much. It couldn't, it couldn't happen in real life. But it's so great to see the three of them. Like, Randy de Hopkins is an, is an either for life. He has everything that the others could put in the, in the, in the bottom of the of the of the standings and now that the team can go further can fight for the Stanley Cup Ranger Hopkins deserves to have his best season it's his 20th season in NHL and he's having his greatest numbers and we still have bar a lot of games to until finish and Leon Dreisado always deserves uh, recognition as well uh, obviously we'll talk about McDavid in the headlines first of the the 800 points but the Andre side and getting to 700 points it's also great he's having great numbers as well and as Gretzky had Messier had a lot of other uh, to help him in the 80s Conor McDavid has to have a great team to to make the Oilers fight for the Stanley Cup and go even further year by year well as we talked about already I mean comparing Conor McDavid to Wayne Gretzky for our generation uh, it's very likely that Leon Dreisaitl would also be the, the current generation's version of Marc Messier. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Diego, going into the third period, did you have a feeling that McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Nugent Hopkins would all hit their milestone before the end of the game? I, I was confident that was going to happen, but I, I wasn't sure that this could be the game that uh, Nugent, Drysaddle, and McDavid would reach their milestones. You know, I, I, I had some sort of confidence, but I'm glad, you know, that, that it happened. It, it, it was so special to to see that, to watch that milestone. It it is great. I'm so glad, Eric, for Nugent. You know, Nugent really deserved 
uh, a great season. He's a special player. As Gabriel said, he's an Oilers for life. He took a hometown discount to stay with the Oilers, you know, for the next eight years of his contract. How could you not be happy for him? You know, I, I'm so happy that he's having a season for the ages. You know, his pace of points is about nine, nine points. Can you imagine? We could have he, 300 point scorers on the Oilers this season. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Even Zach Hyman, why not? You know, he has three points less than huge at the moment. So we could have four. That would be so special. And uh, I would love to see other records being broken this season. That that would feel really special for us. And even if they fall short of getting to 100, it's very likely that um, Nugent Hopkins and Hyman will both reach 90 points. And Dreisaitl, I figure he'll be somewhere around 120 points. McDavid's going to push for 150. Gabriel, when you started cheering for this team over a decade ago, did you ever think that the Oilers would have even one player with 120 points or, or 150 points, let alone four players with 90 points? No, when I started watching, it was great to see that the Oilers weren't the last of the NHL. It was really <laughs> tough. Like, it, was a, it happened a, a win. It just following the draft uh, and seeing the pros pass and all the things. And it's so good to think different now. It's so good to think that, yes, we can fight. We have a great team. We have a lot of great players in the offensive side. And it's great to see as well that the, the players have amazing numbers. Dreisaitl, McDavid, Nugent Hopkins, even Zach Hyman, as Diego said, in the regular season. But that the team had great numbers as well in the last playoffs, for example. Like, McDavid had 33 points in 60 games, 16 games. That's amazing. That's amazing. That shows that the team isn't just for the regular season. The team can go to the playoffs, can fight, and can go even further than the last year. Playoffs. Yeah, and and Diego, how about you? When you started cheering for this team, did you ever imagine that they would have this much firepower one day? No, I would never expect Eric and Gabriel. So I, when I started cheering for the Oilers, it was in 2011. So one of our best players were were Sean Horkoff, Ryan Smith. You know, at that time, Jordan Eberle. So I would never imagine them scoring about 100 points. Can you imagine? So it's really special for me. And I know that the Oilers were rebuilding at that time. And Taylor Hall and Jordan Eberle, as well as Nugent Hopkins, all went on to become very good NHL players. But if you think about it, in 2010-2011, Eberle led the team in scoring as a rookie with 43 points. To, yeah. And to, to think yeah. of where, where we are now, I mean, like you said, McDavid had almost 33 points in the playoffs last year <laughs> compared to 43 points in an entire regular season. So um, obviously that was a, a very dark time in Oilers history compared to where they are today. But still, uh, you know, in my wildest dreams, I don't know if I ever thought the Oilers would have a player that would push for 150 points. I just remember thinking 15 years ago when they had Elish Hemsky, I always hoped that he had 100-point potential and thought that he could get there. Um, ultimately, injuries uh, never allowed that to happen. But 
to be at a point now where there's four players on the Oilers that are all pushing for 100 points, it's, uh, man, it's been such a thrill to watch these guys this year. No, it's, in, it's insane to think that more than one player can reach their 100% mark, for sure. We don't try to we'll get there, too. But that's why, like, uh, I remember one of my first memories is the eight-point night for St. Gagner against the, against the Chicago Blackhawks. And in 2012. In 2012, and that's, like, even today we talk about it because we, the decade didn't have anything more than that until Connor McDavid and Andre Seidel started to to play. It's like, uh, it's amazing to think what the team can do, what the team in the stats, and of course, where the team can, can reach with all that power. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, just going back to last night's game, the Oilers were dreadful in the first 40 minutes, but they came out with a really solid push in the third period. And then Devin Shore drew that four-minute high-sticking penalty. And as soon as they got that power play, I just had a feeling that at least one of them was going to get a point and hit their milestone. But for all three of them to get a point on Dreisaitl's power play goal was just awesome. I mean, McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Nugent Hopkins are the Oilers' three best players. They're also the three longest-serving players on the team, and, and they're all having career years, too. So it was great to see them all factor in on the game-tying goal and hit their respective milestones in the process. And I want to give a shout-out to my buddy Brian Swain as well, who dug up this stat last night. McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Nugent Hopkins each recorded their 70th point of the season by Game 58, making them the fastest Oilers trio to all record 70 points since Wayne Gretzky, Yari Curry, and Mark Messier did it in 55 games back in 1987-88. So just incredible that the Oilers have uh, had this trio. And even, like I said, we can include Hyman in that as, as far as uh, uh, top performers on the team. And he'll be at 70 points soon, too. Yeah. No, for sure. And uh, it's, it's a great stat, to be honest. When I listen, and I, I didn't I didn't saw it. I, I will search about it and I make sure to, to put on my profile as well. It's, uh, it's great to see the, the three of them. They deserve all the best from in Edmonton, and they, they deserve to win in Edmonton, for sure. And with the victory over the Flyers, the Oilers improved to 10-1-5 in their last 16 games, including an 11-game unbeaten streak in regulation, which was their longest point streak in nearly 19 years. It also gives the Oilers the second-best record in the league since January 11th, but while they only have one regulation loss in the past six weeks, the Oilers have blown several leads recently and have struggled to put games away in overtime. Diego, what are your thoughts on the team's overall play since the middle of January? They've been doing a great job, actually. You know, I, I, I've enjoyed their game uh, as of late. You know, unfortunately, we... We didn't have much luck during the overtime of the previous games. Uh, and the shootout, uh, I don't think a shootout is one of our strongest qualities. You know, I mean, the Oilers' biggest quality. But I do appreciate that we're managing to to get some points, you know, out of these games. So they've done a solid job, but I still think the, the Oilers need a better def defenseman, I would say, you know, 
and someone who could win some face-offs in their own zone because this has been one of our weaknesses as of late. But I I really liked what they've done so far. Uh, they, they have a great record, right? It's 10-1-5. Yeah. The last 16 games, uh, that, that is a solid job. So one regulation loss, I, I enjoyed a lot. And this has kept the team uh, in the... And the race for the Pacific, you know, I think they could, you know, take over the Pacific division sooner, you know. So yeah. we just need some luck, but I, I've really liked it. And I think this team has got some potential to to do much better. So, But I really liked what they've done so far. It has been... Uh, a great sequence of games, you know, despite some points that they lost, you know, along the way, they could have, they could have banked these points, but I'm okay, you know, so we're still managing to get some points. So I'm happy for that. And uh, Gabriel, how well do you think the team has performed over the past six weeks? No, the record is pretty, it's good. It's pretty great, to be honest. It's a really good record, 10 millions, one. Loss and five uh, overtime or shootout losses, but when like some fans and myself included, they they complain a little bit. Even the if the if the record is great, it's because we believe that the team can be even better than that. Like uh, against the the Detroit Red Wings and the New York Rangers were two tough games to watch. Like the team uh, blew a great lead, mostly against the New York Rangers, but. Against the Colorado Avalanche, for example, the team played great. But I guess the when you play the the former champion, you can't you can't make any mistakes, to be honest. But it's good. It's a good record. I think the team can go, uh, can improve it for sure. And the race for the Pacific Division is so tight. It's such a it's like a, the separation between the first and the others, which right now are in a wild card spot. It's three points, I believe. It's right. Like, Really, really small difference. But we you know having Connor McDavid, the Andre Sider, and Nugent Hopkins, as we said, we fell out of records being beaten, and a lot of milestones reached. Uh, we have to believe that the the team can can be even better at this time of the of the season. And a lot of that passes like the the defense has a lot of troubles. The goaltending seems to return to be an issue, and then they start playing great. But as I said, when when some fans think that the record isn't great, or it's just because the team can be better, we believe that those players can for sure uh, have better numbers as a team, as a whole. And I don't know, that's that's great to see. It's great. The record is great, uh, but the team can go even better. That's that's great to believe as well. Yeah, I mean, I think if you went back to early January when the Oilers were just barely clinging to the second wildcard spot in the Western Conference, any Oilers fan would have taken one regulation loss over the next month and a half. And I understand that Oilers fans are frustrated by the team squandering three goal leads in back-to-back games against the New York Rangers and the Colorado Avalanche. I'm frustrated by that too. But despite dropping several games in extra time, the Oilers are still finding ways to bank points night after night. Like, yes, 
those five uh, overtime or oh, shootout losses, they're not great. You you would have loved to seen the Oilers put one or two of those more away, but like I said, there's they're still finding a way to stay in the hunt for a Pacific Division title, and they got some help on the out of town scoreboard with uh, Calgary and Seattle losing the other day. So yeah. it's just very tight. If you look at the, the other than Vegas, who's uh, a point of head of the the next three teams. Basically, Seattle, L.A., and Edmonton all have identical records. So it's going to be a real dogfight down to the end with all three of these teams battling it out. Um, I still think that the Oilers have the skill to come out on top if if they played any of those teams in the playoffs, really, because we know how dangerous McDavid and Dreisaitl are come playoff time. I don't, I don't want to say that they're saving their best for the playoffs, but you know, you, you can't play at playoff style levels from game one through 82 it's just too taxing on the body to go that hard so while i don't think they're resting by any means i know that there's another level that they can hit and regardless of who they play in the first round i still think that uh, the oilers would be favored whether or not they have home ice advantage and there's still 24 games to play this season so the oilers could easily win the division title and secure home ice advantage through the first two rounds as well um, I think for that to happen, though, there's a few things they need to clean up. Uh, firstly, they got to get off to better starts. There's been too many games this year where the Oilers don't get into it until the second period. Uh, last night, they didn't really pick it up until the third period even. And when they do have an early push like that game against the Red Wings, they often go quiet for the rest of the first period. And it sort of takes them a while to to sort of get into it again. I also think they need to be better on the face-off dot, especially in the defensive zone. You know, we've seen too many pucks end up in the back of the Oilers' net shortly after losing a defensive zone draw. And um, Connor McDavid even said it in his post-game interview a few games ago that when you score four goals in this league, it should be enough to win. And, and the Oilers are the most dangerous offensive team in the league. So yes. he, holding on to those leads is something they have to do. And uh, perhaps above all else, I want to see a little more killer instinct from this group. Championship caliber teams put games away when they have a multiple goal lead after 40 minutes. And even though we've seen plenty of comebacks across the league this year, it's not just happening to the Oilers. It does feel like it's happened a little too often this season. Um, And they've left some important points on the table because of it. Um, Edmonton's now lost seven straight games in extra time, which you never would have thought you'd be saying, uh, after seeing how dominant McDavid and Drysaddle have been in overtime the past, I would say five years. So uh, even though they're in the mix, you, you think about it like this, those seven overtime losses, if they would have even won four of those games, they'd be sitting alone in first place in the Pacific right now. So that's how tight things are and how important it is to make sure you do close out those games. But overall, like I said, I'm not going to complain too much about a, a 10-1-5 and record. Uh, if the Oilers only lose one uh, regulation uh, game in the next 16 as well, I'll be extremely happy with that. But considering the schedule they have coming up, I think that's going to be pretty tough to do. Yeah. No, man, as I said, like, uh, if you're saving, you can't play 82 games. Of course, when you watch all the games, we hope for a win. By me, the Oilers could have a winner all, but we, we know that's impossible. But you know that the players are capable of doing it. McDavid, we talked a lot about uh, how he was great in the last playoffs. But Leon Dreisaitl as well, with the ankle injury, he played so great. Like uh, I, I'm not worried, as you said, 
about who will the others play in the playoffs. Like they can be on top as well. It's tough. The the schedule is really hard right now compared to what it was in the last 16 games. But I don't know if if it is Vegas, I'm okay with that. If it's Dallas or Winnipeg, I'm okay with that as well. Los Angeles, like that isn't an issue. I think the others can for sure. Um, well, I still the, think the Oilers are going to be a top three team in the Pacific. I don't yeah. think they'll be a wild card team. But regardless, if they finish first, second, or third, uh, like Vegas, I, I think is is would be the Oilers' toughest opponent, especially yeah, if, if Mark Stone comes back from his injury and and if they do load up and get, let's say, a Timo Meyer at the trade deadline or something. But mm-hmm. I I just look at the the other two teams, whether it's Seattle or LA, I'm confident the Oilers would beat either one of those teams in a seven game series. They already did beat um, LA last year. They know they can do it. Going up against Seattle now, they they were two and one against the crack in this season, I believe. So it's, it's possible for, for them to beat either of those teams. I just think you want to obviously give yourself the best chance you have and, and lock up home ice advantage. Yeah. yeah. And I said, it won't be easy. Of course it won't be easy. And a team, it won't be a, an easy series. If it, it is a, a lower team in the standings, it's better, of course. But if, if it ends up in the worst case scenario in the wild card spot, then then I'm I'm not worried about it as well. I think the others can can go and, and can fight for it. For sure. And Diego, how about yourself? Going into the playoffs, are there any teams in the Pacific that really scare you? No, no team scares me at all. Um, and I, I don't want to sound like, oh, my team is the best, actually. No, no, that's not the point. But but I do believe that the Oilers have a superior team, and they step up their game, you know, against tougher opponents. Uh, everybody's speaking about the next sequence of games against Pittsburgh, Boston, Toronto, Winnipeg, and I'm very confident that the Oilers will win at least two or three of these next four games, you know. Because they normally step up their games. And as you said before, uh, in this final stretch, Connor McDavid goes supernova and all the team makes a stronger effort, you know. So I'm very confident that no matter which team will show up in the playoffs, in the playoffs, I mean, against the Oilers, the Oilers will have a better uh chance at winning the the series you know so uh if i had to bet uh, on a team that would scare the oilers uh i would say the minnesota wild because Which they, they, they wouldn't even have to play until the conference final and yes uh, and you know yes the oilers do have a hard time with minnesota but even though they're not a top team in the central division for some reason the Oilers always have trouble with them so I, I can see why you would say that but like I said we, we wouldn't have to worry about them till round three if we got there yes yes because I do believe the Oilers will will do fine you know the first two rounds and I, I don't know Eric maybe if we face Avalanche again so it won't be easy but I believe this year we have better odds, you know, at winning the series in a potential conference finals against Colorado. So it would be a tough match, you know, and it's 
it's a team that scares me, but I don't think Vegas is going this further. And if there was another team that would scare me as well, it would be Winnipeg because I I, I have no good memories about the last match. <laughs> you know, the last series they they had together. So it could be a it could be a tough team, you know, to face. But o- overall, I don't think any team would scare would scare me, you know, like as a, a very hard opponent against the Oilers. I think the Oilers, if they uh, make some good additions, you know, um, which we'll talk in about this deadline. <laughs> yes, I think we we. We, we have no reason to be afraid of anyone. Right. And and the West really is wide open this year. There isn't an unstoppable force like the Colorado Avalanche were last year who went 16-4 and four in the playoffs. They've had some guys miss significant time this season. And even if they do come back for the playoffs, which is still to be unseen, um, there, there's going to be some rust there. So I just think this is a year the Oilers really have to go for it. Uh, it's hard to say if they're going to hit 104 points and match uh, the the point total they got to last season or not. But I still think that on paper, this team is better than last year's group. Also, they're a year more experienced and uh, having been to a conference final now. So uh, they'll be ready for whoever they play. And, and like I said, with McDavid and Dreisaitl always um, having that ability to go nuclear in the playoffs, anything could happen. Okay, let's get into some trade talk now. And the Oilers have been linked to two of the biggest names on the trade block this year, and those are Patrick Kane and Eric Carlson. Uh, Kane and Carlson each have full no-movement clauses, but according to multiple insiders, they would both be intrigued by the idea of joining McDavid and Dreisaitl on the Oilers. Kane can become a UFA this offseason, while Carlson still has four years remaining on his contract. And GM Ken Holland would surely like to add either Kane or Carlson before the trade deadline. However, they both have an eight-figure cap hit, which makes a trade extremely difficult to pull off, uh, especially for a team that's up against the cap ceiling like the Oilers. Gabriel, do you think it's more likely that Kane or Carlson gets dealt to the Oilers before the trade deadline on March 3rd? And who do you think would be a better fit in Edmonton? No, it's as you said, it's hard because of the cap space. But today, with the the Vegas made a trade with the Arizona Coyotes, and they they got in a way with the the cap space. The, the the trade was just because of that, and then they can they can make another big trade on the until the trade deadline. But I don't know. It started with Patrick Kane. I think he's one of the greatest as well. Will be in the Hall of Fame for sure. But we would improve the team. And no doubt about it, even even if uh, he's not having a, a great season, well, of course, compared to his previous ones, which he was amazing. But I don't know if the Oilers, if he is what the Oilers are are in need right now. Like the, the offensive side of the Oilers are one of the best of the NHL so far with Conor McDavid, Dreisaitl, Hyman, Nugent Hopkins, Evander Kane as well, uh, if he can go back healthy. But I don't know. The others should focus on the on the defensive side. Like it's really hard to watch. Like Darnell Nurse and Cody Ceci is still being the the top uh, 
the top pair on the on the defensive side when it's clearly that's not working pretty well. But and as I said, the cap space makes everything harder. About Eric Carson, it's even tougher to be honest because he has a four more years on his 11.5 million annual average. But he's on the favorite for the Norris Trophy. He could help in the offensive side as well, more than the others are used to. But I don't know. I think the Derek Carson is the one the, the artist should be f- focusing. But I, I think the, the chances are that Patrick Kane ends up as an Edmonton winder. Uh, thinking about as well with uh, Duncan Keefe being on the magi- uh, being on the management side and for sure if the both can can I'm wave sure his long tell his old friend Patrick Kane about what it's like in Edmonton and how much fun he had playing with no. McDavid and Drysdale. So hopefully there's a a little bit of a behind the scenes recruiting going on there. Yeah, <laughs> no, for sure. <laughs> Under the table, of course, because uh, they don't want to get uh, in trouble for tampering or anything there. But look, I mean, players still talk, right? Um, And and Duncan Keith can talk to Patrick Kane, not just as someone who's working for the Oilers organization, but just say like, hey, I I spent one year with this team. We went to the conference final. I got to play with the two best players in the world. Uh, This is something that I think you'd want to be a part of, even if it's just for one spring because it's very likely that as an American player he's going to sign with an American team yeah. uh, in the summer but uh, for him to come here for one playoff run and take a chance to win a fourth Stanley Cup I think that would be very enticing yeah for sure but I don't know there are two great names but names like Jacob Chitron for example like there's a lot of talking about him and even Matthias Elkom from the National Predators I think they are the names that the other should have been focusing to improve the defense and start with that and then yeah, can fight because the offensive side is so great. It's one of the greatest of the history of the NHL, but the defense isn't. So they are, I, in my opinion, the other should be focusing on those names, for example, and taking a, defen- uh, a defenseman that's like the, the focus of his game is the defense. Not not saying that Eric Carson wouldn't be great. Would be awesome to see Carson, McDavid, and Dreisaitl playing together, mostly in a power play. Imagine or the overtime. But I don't think the others should should focus on the def- defensive side to to win. No, and you make a great point there, especially since the Oilers are uh, lead the league in goals for but they only are 21st in the league in goals against. So they're right at the cusp of being a bottom 10 team defensively, but it's their otherworldly offense that's been uh, allowing them to outscore a lot of their problems. Uh, And Diego, do you think that Kane or Carlson has a better chance to join the Oilers? And who would you like to see uh, join the team as they load up for a cup run? Eric Gabriel, my heart says Eric Carlson. <laughs> I need to see him in Oilers mix. You know, we need to see that for the sake of the hockey. We we, we gotta see this this moment happening. I, I really want to see uh, Ken Holland make a big trade, an impactful trade, and I hope it's for Eric Carlson. If it happens, it's going to be a very special day in oil country. I actually don't mind Patrick Kane. I would love to have him playing for the Oilers as well. But I don't know. I don't know, Eric. I don't know, Gabriel, if we have 
you know, uh, great or better odds at acquiring, at getting him, you know, because New York Rangers also made a pitch. They still want him in. I've heard that Kane really want, wanted want to go there. play, you know? Uh, sorry to cut you off there, Diego, but just, yeah. uh, you know, because they went out and traded for Vladimir Tarasenko from the St. Louis Blues, I think that makes it less likely that Patrick Kane will go there because it, it sort of felt like Tarasenko was their big uh, trade deadline acquisition. So I'm not saying it's impossible, but it, it definitely feels like the Rangers are out as far as uh, teams in the mix to to bring him in. I think it was Elliot Friedman from Sportsnet who said the the yeah. top three suitors uh, for uh, Patrick Kane would be the the Edmonton Oilers, the Dallas Stars, and the Vegas Golden Knights. So I, I feel like uh, as one of the most plugged in guys in the business, that's more likely where uh, we'll see uh, Kane land come trade deadline day. Yeah, that's right. Uh, actually, the Oilers made a pitch, right? Uh, they did. Uh, yeah, and Friedman put that out too. That uh, yesterday the Oilers uh, made a, their their offer for Patrick Kane, and uh, obviously we we didn't hear anything. If we would have had some breaking news this afternoon before this podcast, that would have definitely given us more <laughs> to talk about. But yeah. we're all just still speculating at this point. Um, but obviously, look, the team is is wanting to add uh, someone who they think can uh, make a big impact and, and Kane would definitely be that. And, and sorry to cut you off the Diego, but you were saying you would prefer them to go with Carlson over Kane. Yes, I would. I would love both of them, but I'm not sure the others can do it due to the cap space. But, you know, I, I remain hopeful we, we can acquire both players as this is the year to go all in. So we got we got to find a way, you know, actually Ken Holland has to find a way to to bring these two impactful players. He likes vets. Everybody knows that. So maybe maybe this plays a factor. And as you said, Duncan Keith, you know, has strong, you know, uh, uh, connections in Chicago. He probably had a talk to Patrick Kane and maybe you know, spoke about the benefits of playing Ed Mountain with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. So, I don't know. Well, it remains to be seen, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I'm very hopeful we can acquire impactful players. And as Gabriel said, Matthias Ekholm would be a great add, in my opinion. Uh, what do you think? Maybe even Provorov from the Philadelphia Flyers? Do you think he this, this, this could be a possibility for us. Uh, I don't think that he would be in the mix for the Oilers. I haven't heard any anyone really mention his name as a as a potential trade target. Um, he's spent obviously his entire career with with Philly, and I just think that he's young enough that uh, I think he'd be about mid twenties. That as they're continuing to rebuild, he would be someone that they would want to be around for that and, and, and sort of grow with this, this young group that we saw the Oilers play last night. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. And the last time that I heard about it was when he didn't go, went to the, he didn't go to the warm up. but yeah. and then I, I, I still posted, Oh, maybe there is a trading coming. And then it was just because the, 
the LGBT shirt that he didn't want to use. So it it has that off uh, his way of thinking off the ice as well. That I don't know if it could be great for the team to the image, but as I said, like Ken Holland, uh, he has to find a way to to make it. Like there are players like uh, Jesse Pouliard that's every day I see a different trade for him, but also Kyler Yamamoto, Warren Fogel, uh, even Cody Sisifer as well. They they can be trying to change them to to fit the cap space of uh, another player. And the Ken Holland has to put the the draft picks uh, available in my in my opinion because in uh, in theory it will be like a a really low pick for the others in the first round or even in the other ones because the others has the has the expectation to to go uh, really deep in the playoff run in, in theory and he has to make it work like for example in Jacob Chitron he in my opinion he he should put it on the table as well would even talk about it even try to to reach it in a deal like and and he has a really big paycheck to do it so he has to find a way to make the the others even better yeah and you know there have been rumors about a potential Patrick Kane trade to the Oilers since last summer and Kane is the player that I've wanted the Oilers to go out and get all season they already have arguably the best top six forward group in the league with McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, Hyman, Evander Kane and Yamamoto but adding a player of Patrick Kane's ilk would easily give Edmonton the most lethal offense in the league. I mean, yeah. uh, they're leading the the NHL in goals for and power play percentage. And some people say, how much better could they get offensively? But with Patrick Kane in the fold, they would have three former MVPs and scoring champions in the lineup. And Kane also gives the Oilers so many different options with uh, what they can do with their forward lines. Uh, Jay Woodcroft could play McDavid with both Canes and have Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins each centering their own line, or the Oilers could reunite the dynamic duo full-time on the top line and, and have uh, Patrick Kane with them, or he, they could move him down to the second line with Nugent Hopkins and Yamamoto and, and or Hyman. So there's, you know, he gives them a lot more versatility because of how much offensive depth they have, especially in, in the top two lines. Um and it doesn't sound like the acquisition cost would be too high either, even if the as far as trading. But the the biggest thing is if the Chicago Blackhawks agreed to retain 50 percent of Kane's ten and a half million dollar cap hit, the Oilers would still need to find a way to send out five million dollars worth of contracts or get a third team involved to make the money work because they simply have zero cap space and. Even even at 50%, it doesn't work for the Oilers. They they would need to send out a, a Warren Fogle, maybe even a Kyler Yamamoto too, or or a Jesse Pugliarvi. Like there there would have to be money going out for money to be coming in, and and that's just to fit them under the cap for this year. But if the Oilers are able to swing a trade for an impact player, I think Kane is more likely to end up in Edmonton than Carlson. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. Uh, actually, I think I think the ask, you know, someone reported it was at least a second round pick uh, for Patrick King plus yeah, second round uh, pick a few and a prospects. prospects. But the the thing is, is that the Oilers need to send out more money than that. That's that's where it comes. So they would 
they'd almost be throwing in Jesse Pugliarvi, uh, which, you know, some people will say he, he needs a fresh start and, and that, that could be the case, but it's more than anything, because if they're going to bring in a big contract, they, they simply have to have money going out the other way to, to get them under. And, and there's also the thought that maybe Jonathan Taves would have been a better fit for the Oilers stylistically, because you look at, what Patrick Kane brings to the table. He's definitely more offensive than Taves, but if we're looking for which player fits the profile of what would help the Oilers more in the playoffs, you could say a, a, a more defensive minded center who could win those faceoffs that I talked about earlier that they really struggled on. Uh, Kane or Taves could be that, that guy that would um, help them in that area come playoff time, but uh, he's already put out that message on social media saying that he's not going to leave the Blackhawks for the rest of the season. He's dealing with a long-term illness and he just wants to stay put and then he'll figure out where he wants to go in the summer. So uh, that, that whole thought that maybe Taves would come here too has sort of been squashed, but going back to Kane, he's on pace for 65 points on a terrible Blackhawks team. And it makes you think, what would he be able to do with the Oilers even at age 34? It would be great to see uh, Patrick Klein playing playing as well. I wouldn't complain. Even thinking that the focus should be the defense. If you put Patrick Kane on the on the mix with Dreisaitl, McDavid, Hyman, even the the Evander Kane as well, uh, it would be uh, so great. Just just uh, against Toronto, he recorded um, a hat trick just uh, in the February the nineteenth. Yeah, two games ago, and he almost scored the overtime winner against the the Vegas Golden Knights yesterday. <laughs> like for yeah, it was amazing to see. Like, it was one second more, he, he would have gone the a really great overtime winner. I mean, so he's he can play great. He can contribute as well. The the others, if the others can manage to bring Patrick Kane to play, even if it's just for the the end of this season. Just for that. Yeah, because I'm sure he's re-signing on the East yeah. Coast with a, an American team. He might even go to his hometown Buffalo Sabres. You know, they're a team that's coming up, uh, and uh, he might just see this as an opportunity to not only play in my hometown, but uh, grow with this group and, and maybe yeah. eventually have a chance to win one more cup before his career's done. But if he's looking for a team that could contend right now and would have room to fit him in in an ideal spot to succeed i don't know if he could find a better landing spot than the oilers yeah and the, but chicago has to has to retain some some of his salary yeah, for sure it's just hard and like a second round pick it's okay by me a prospect of course not name it dylan holloway or philip broberg or even uh, uh even burgo as well yeah Burgo as well uh, has a prospect that it isn't like a, in the top tier of the prospects. Well, I it's because be it's a really rental, glad. right? Like you're yeah. you're basically you're getting Kane for the final month and a half of the yeah. regular season and however long your playoff run goes, and hopefully it goes until June. But <laughs> you know, like yeah. you're you're not guaranteed anything doing this. It just it does definitely give the Oilers uh, even more depth up front. And as for Carlson. Maybe they revisit a, a trade for him in the summer when teams have a little more room to make moves. But with the San Jose Sharks reportedly asking for the equivalent of three first round picks in exchange for Carlson, while only retaining 20% of his $11.5 million cap hit, 
that would be an extremely difficult deal for the Oilers to make in season. And I still think that he could be the piece that really helps this team because of his incredible ability to either skate the puck up the ice or make that tape to tape pass to send McDavid on a breakaway. I just, I would hate for the Oilers to have to include Evan Bouchard in that trade, but I'm sure that the Sharks would insist that any deal for Carlson would, uh, would have to have uh, Bouchard included in a, in a package for Carlson. And, and really if, Carlson were to step into that offensive role on Edmonton's blue line, he would be blocking Bouchard's career path anyway. But you just look at how valuable an elite puck moving defenseman like Kale McCarr was to the Colorado Avalanche when they won the cup last year. And it makes you think how big of a difference maker Carlson could be on the Oilers back end. It would make a big difference. You know, uh, and and that blue line. So I'm I'm very hopeful they they can pull off a trade. They they yep. can still they can still pull off a trade this until the deadline. And why not? You know, why not? Uh, we we have to believe. And speaking about Patrick Kane, I, I I'm not so sure he would go to East if you have some success with the Oilers if he. Signs with the Oilers uh, this season. Maybe he he may reconsider. You know, playing one more season here. Like I mean, the the whole season. Yeah, we, we never say never, right? But, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely not impossible. I just it all signs point to this is a guy who's lived in the East his entire life. He's lived in the United States his entire life, save for one year where he played junior hockey with the London Knights in the OHL. I just think it's it's very, very likely that that's where he'll want to end up. And I totally understand that. But as for just one playoff run for a few months, I think that uh, he would uh, he might be willing. And it sounds like the insiders that are, are most plugged in are saying that he he would have an interest in coming to Edmonton. Otherwise they wouldn't put this information out there. Um, but I think that's, like I said, more as a rental. Whereas if you're trading for Carlson, let's say in the summertime, uh, that's a guy who's going to be on your team for the next four seasons and, and give you multiple playoff runs with him. Oh, yeah, for sure. And when, when you said that Evan Bouchard would have to be involved with the Sharks, it would be really hard to see him going. He has such a great future. He has such high, high expectations for him, even in, in the others or any team in the NHL. But if I, if I was on the, on the Sharks side, I would insist, I would push the more than I, than I could to get Evan Bouchard and even more some uh, first round peaks as well. I would other. push for that too. Yeah. I, and I, the more puck movers you can have, the better. I just think that if you have Carlson uh, playing, you know, alongside, uh, you know, wh- whoever you want to pair him with, I don't know if you want to shelter a, a Cody Cece or if you want to elevate him and have him with Darnell Nurse. It just, it, it probably does like I said, block where Bouchard could get to because when they drafted him in the first round, 10th overall in uh, 2018, the thought was that he's eventually going to be the Oilers' top pairing and top power play unit defenseman. And now if you have Carlson coming in, that's a big chunk of his 20s where you figure that he would eventually be sort of ascending into that spot. And now 
Carlson's basically taking it all up. I already think that Bouchard doesn't get enough power play time as it it is. And you can make a case that Tyson Berry is such a perfect fit for that spot and and has such great chemistry with McDavid, Drysaddle, and Nugent Hopkins that why would you ever take him off? And I mean, case in point, last night, Barry scores a quick goal, three seconds off a draw to uh, give the Oilers a a goal late in the first period. But uh, just having that big slap shot that Evan Bouchard brings is such a weapon. And I, I think that I would almost like to see that more often where after the first minute of a power play, those two switch off. Like you keep all the same forwards out there. But Barry maybe gets the first minute and then Bouchard gets the second minute because it it changes the look of your power play as well. And uh, if the if the defense have to challenge Bouchard more to take away his shot, that would open up even more space for McDavid to create his magic lower in the offensive zone. I'm thinking about Eric Carlson, for example, in the first line, and Evan Bouchard on the second one. <laughs> Broberg taking up the, the his game even better and better uh, at each each game. Like the defensive side of Edmonton can be really great with all of them. It's hard. Like uh, if I have to choose, like uh, I love the the things that Tyson Berg is doing. Like he's playing his best in a, in a long time. But I would rather see Tyson Berg. Uh, being traded to the uh, from Edmonton to get Carson or even any other. Well, because player. he's older, of course. I mean, and you, yeah, but, you want to hold on to the younger defenseman that you think has sixty point potential, which yeah. I do for Bouchard. It's just uh, if the, if the Sharks are saying, okay, we're sending out our top defenseman, and you know we need a piece to replace him for the future going forward. Yeah. We would rather have the 23-year-old defenseman than the Not 31-year-old defense, and I totally understand that. Um, just to, to, to wrap up on the trade talk, though, uh, I, I want you to put your uh, your prediction hats on. Uh, when a week when the Oilers play the Winnipeg Jets uh, a little over a week from now, after the trade deadline has passed, and I'll be at that game next Friday in Edmonton. Uh, who do you think oh, nice. will be great? Yeah, yeah, it's it's only the second game I'll have been to this season, so I definitely need to get back yeah. out to Edmonton oh, for, for a game. Sure. Uh, I also had a chance to go to Ryan Smith's uh, um, oh, yeah. Oilers Hall of Fame night back in November, which was very cool. Uh, yeah. But just um, so going back to the predictions, though, when when the Oilers play the Jets just over a week from now, who will be the new addition to this team? I'll, I'll get one prediction from each of you. Uh, Diego, you can go first. Eric Carlson. Okay. I believe. <laughs> he still believes it's happening. <laughs> yes, definitely. So th- there is a chance, you know. Uh, although many reports have been saying otherwise, uh, I do believe Holland is trying to to pull off, you know, something big, uh, impactful trade. And I, I, I think Patrick Kane won't be this impact trade, you know, and McDavid, Dry Saddle, they asked for a defenseman who could yeah. move the puck. So maybe this display is a factor, you know, it has it has some importance in, in the Oilers management, so well, why not? Why not? No, and, and I, I, I think that they could. To believe. <laughs> yeah, we see that, we've seen that far too often where McDavid is building up speed through the neutral zone and he's looking for that pass and they don't have the guy out there who can hit him in full stride 
Uh, Bouchard probably is the best on the team at that. And, and Tyson Berry can make yeah. a really good first pass too. But there's too many of their defensemen that don't have the the elite passing skills to to hit them in stride and, and send the Oilers in on a, either a breakaway or an odd man rush. Uh, like Darnell Nurse is one of the best puck transporters in the league from the back end. He can skate yeah. the puck up ice. And uh, for a guy that's six foot five, He's he's a very nimble skater and, and he can really uh, get that puck up and in, in into the offensive zone. But as for making that um, that great tape to tape pass from his own end up to uh, one of the Oilers top stars breaking through the middle, you're probably not going to see that as often. It, it's never been one of his top skills. Uh, Gabriel, for you, who do you think will be the Oilers big trade line acquisition one week from now? Well, the other option that we talk about it would be Patrick Kane that has a lot of conversation going. And like uh, I want to, I want to say, for example, Matias Ekholm that we already said about it. But I want to believe that the the others can bring the Jacob Chitrun from the Arizona Coyotes. That the a first round pick and some prospect, of course, not name it, Broberg or uh, Holloway or even Evan Bouchard is said like it's a pretty reasonable price as well he could help a lot i think the defensive side of the order so uh just not to to say the patrick Kane, that's one of the other obvious choice but i want i really think that jacob chitron would be yeah. great depending on the price and depending on the prospect that arizona uh asks so much uh, but i i do believe he he could add a lot to the montoiders and i do believe the price is it's right, okay. Every season, the price is dropping and dropping, and I think it's like no one will get him. But, but I think it's. I would be glad if, for example, Darius could bring him. Yeah, and I think Chicken would be a great fit for this team. I, yeah. I've wanted them to bring him in for a while. It sounds less likely uh, yeah. as the last couple months have gone on. It, it was more uh, a rumor that was. Uh, getting some uh some traction back in say december or even november but now looking at it he's been on the trade block for nearly two years obviously he wants to get out of there they're they, they've been a bad team his entire time in the nhl and this is what his seventh season so for a guy that came into the nhl as an 18 year old defenseman you don't see that very often and, and he's endured a lot of losing but still the fact that he's a plus player on a bottom feeder team and, and was uh, producing at nearly a point per game pace as a defenseman. That is such an attractive option for the Oilers to bring in and with still being able to play solid defensively. I just think that the asking price is too high and the Coyotes really haven't come down on that ask at all. Apparently they're looking for two first round picks plus a top prospect, which is Almost as much as what the San Jose Sharks are yeah. um, asking for Carlson. I guess the one thing is is that Chikrin only has a $4.6 million cap hit yeah, compared to Carlson's $11.5 million. Um, and you'd have Chikrin for this year plus the next two years after at a very affordable cap hit, especially if the salary cap goes up. Now you're able to fit in um, even more help in the offseason while still having your blue line shored up. The thing that I just think with Chikrin is uh, they they can't be expecting to get all that. Like Philip Broberg is another player that they would want back because once again, yeah. you're sending out your best defenseman. You want a, a top young defenseman to build around for their rebuilding core. And with the way that Philip Broberg has played the last two months, 
that's basically a non-starter for the Oilers. He's a guy who Ken Holland drafted. He was the first draft pick when Ken Holland joined the Oilers in 2019. And for to have a six foot three defenseman who can skate like the wind, uh, he's got a lot of cleft bomb in his game. I've said that he could be cleft bomb 2.0 for this team. (laughs) <laughs> and it's not it's not a guy that you would want to give up on this early in of his course. career. So I, I think that you could even make the case that maybe in uh, a couple of years, he's already uh, going to be as good as Chikrin is, at least defensively. But uh, for the Oilers, they're trying to win right now. And, and that's what the dilemma is with, you know, deciding do they give up the assets to bring in a, a Chikrin when they could be giving up a player who would help them for uh, years to come. Uh, okay, I want to just finish up tonight by talking a little about Jack Michaels, who called his 1,000th NHL game last night. Uh, Jack started doing the play-by-play for the Oilers on the radio back in October 2010, and then joined Sportsnet at the as the Oilers' regional play-by-play announcer in January 2021. I just want to ask you both, uh, how much have you enjoyed listening to Jack on the Oilers broadcast over the past few years? And uh, do you have a favorite goal or moment that he's called? Gabriel, you can go first. Uh, yeah, it's great to to hear. Like here in Brazil, like uh, it's tough to get the broadcasters, but and the the streaming that I use, like right now, it's a league with stream. I, I watched the league of uh, law uh, some time ago. I watched oh, like. Uh, yeah, uh, I didn't watch it in a pretty legal way. But anyway, they just bring sometimes the, the home broadcast when the Oilers play outside of Edmonton. And it's not always that I can they can watch Jack Michaels. But when it is him that is in the in the broadcast, it's great. It's great for me. Um, a really great call that stands in my mind forever. It was when the when the Oilers beat the Sharks on the Game 5 in 2017. And... David Desjardins scored that overtime winner, and it was like so so great to see finally the others are are going through the playoffs. They are winning. They can go even further. And then in the game six, the others uh, closed the series against the Sharks in four two, and that overtime win, the winner call of uh, of that goal will always stick to my mind like forever. Yeah, that was a uh, probably one of the most memorable goals. Um, in the McDavid era for for, for the sure. Oilers, and just to have a, a big overtime win on home ice, uh, yeah, that's that's one that uh, Oilers fans aren't going to forget it, and a great call by Jack too. Uh, Diego, how about yourself? Uh, are you a big fan of Jack Michaels, and do you have a favorite call of his? I love Jack Michaels. I love his excitement, the way he called the he calls the games. He, he's he's a great announcer, you know. And I totally relate to the way he. He calls the games because he he he, he sometimes shouts, you know. And <laughs> There's a lot of excitement and energy in his broadcast. Yes, I love this energy, excitement in his voice. You know, it, it reminds me of the Brazilian broadcasters announcers here in Brazil. When, when when they call a soccer game, it, it feels the same way, and I totally relate to him. You know, so I love Jack Michaels, and one of the most memorable moments I, I will never forget it's when the uh during the battle of alberta mike oh, yeah. smith called cam talbot that was uh the most special moment you know of his broadcasting career in my opinion of course you know 
but 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 it felt great to to listen to him you know uh calling that game all the fights you know that fight was truly remarkable and uh, having the chance and opportunity to listen to Jack Michael's call that game was was truly one of a kind you know it yeah. was special yeah i, I it always was say... my name or my favorite i'm sorry no 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 i mean yeah i think a lot of people would agree with you uh and i always say how lucky we are as oilers fans to get to watch the best player in the world in connor mcdavid play for the oilers but I think we're also very lucky to have the best play-by-play guy around the league calling the Oilers games too. And Jack had big shoes to fill when he arrived in oil country 13 years ago, taking over for Hockey Hall of Fame broadcaster and Edmonton sports icon Rod Phillips, who was the Oilers play-by-play voice for 37 years. But Jack has become the voice of the Oilers for a new generation of fans, and I think he's the most exciting announcer in the NHL right now. Just when it's it's getting in a tied game in the third period, that final minute, and he's like down the stretch, come. <laughs> you know, it just it's, yes. it's one of his signature calls, and it just you you feel the energy. It just it, and they've had some other good announcers. Like I, I enjoyed Kevin Quinn growing up on Oilers broadcast on Sportsnet too, but the, the way that Jack Michaels is able to just elevate any broadcast with his own emotion, his own passion. It's just something that uh, I really enjoy. And as someone who has done uh, play-by-play for hockey myself, I-, I know what a tough job it is. And for someone to do it as well as he is, it- it's a it's a very uh, it's it's an incredible skill to be able to do that. So um, it's not an easy job for sure. And the fact that he's uh, a- as uh, as passionate about the his job as he is you know we're like i said we're very lucky to have him and and also when you're calling connor mcdavid and leon dreisaitl 82 times a year plus playoffs there's a lot of opportunity for great calls which you know gives him the the chance to to use his talent and if i had to pick uh my favorite call of his you know there's two that immediately come to mind and it's hard to pick between them uh the goalie fight between mike smith and cam talbot in february 2020 uh, and McDavid's one-on-four goal against the Rangers in November 2021. Uh, both just yeah. incredible calls. You can go listen to them, watch them on YouTube. Uh, he just he's he does a great job of of just knowing when to have that level of excitement, but then also after the goal is scored to just let the crowd tell the story. And that's the mark of a great broadcaster too. Of You could hear how loud Rogers place was when Connor tied that game four four late in the third period. And Jack pauses for about 10 seconds before he even says another word after the goal is scored. Just like I said, letting the fans, um, let, letting them basically tell the story, let them uh, be as, as uh, loud and excited as they are before he, he dives back into the call. So, um, just a great broadcaster. And Jack always signs off every broadcast by saying the pleasure was all ours. But I think everyone in oil country would agree that uh, hearing him call the games uh, all these years, the pleasure has been ours too. No, it's great. Like uh, even if uh, I can get his broadcast, uh, I even went to the, to the radio once or twice to, to get to listen to him in 6:30 chat, I think it's the name of the yeah. radio that he sometimes is 
it's broadcast and it's great like uh, when the broadcast is from the from the other team for example it, it isn't near jack michaels he's he's a great one as you said rod phillips was i don't know he's the he has a banner on the yeah on the on the uh, on the other side of him so in the rogers race so of course he's great i never heard of him of course uh live of course but uh jack michaels is really good when when he is on the broadcast you know that it will be a great bro- broadcast for sure yeah yes his excitement uh pays off you know it it, it, it is great it, it it gets me very anxious you know when we when he says down the stretch we go <laughs> so i always get nervous especially when it's overtime or the last minutes of a game it, 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 it is nice i love i love the his his call on the games it, it's it's really cool so and he deserves all the best he's such a great guy he interacts with all of us on twitter when he mentioned when we mention him He always mm-hmm. he's always polite, you know. He says, "I appreciate your comments." So, a very nice guy who deserves all the success he's been having. Yeah. You know, I really like him. Yeah, he made a like a regular season game feels like a playoff game, for example. Yeah, every so every like, game yeah. feels like game seven of the Stanley Cup yeah. Finals with Jack Michael. <laughs> it does feel like he's that. Uh, <laughs> He he brings uh, that, like I said, that emotion night after night. And, um, you know, he's also had like he's the Oilers regional broadcaster. And whenever there's a national game, he uh, he goes back and does the radio on 630 Ched. But uh, there have been a couple opportunities in the past year where um, Harner Ryan Singh or one of the other broadcasters uh, for CBC and Sportsnet have been unavailable due to calling another game. So Jack's had the opportunity to call some hockey night in Canada games, which is, is awesome for him. And I wish that he called every game, especially in the playoffs. That's one of the most disappointing things that come playoff time. We don't get to hear Jack Michaels on TV anymore. And uh, there was even a petition last spring by fans to get Jack on the airwaves for, uh, for the 2022 playoff run. So who knows, maybe we'll get a chance to see him on the playoffs this year. Oh, fair, completely fair. It would be great to see, like, if he managed to a uh, regular uh, season game, maybe like a uh, game seven in the Stanley Cup final. Imagine if it is like really the playoffs, the game seven on it. it oh, would be exactly. Amazing. You want you want Jack Michaels calling the games when Connor McDavid is leading yeah. the Oilers to a Stanley Cup. So that uh, that's something that uh, you know what people used to do back even in the the 80s when Rod Phillips was calling the games for the Oilers. They would mute the TV and listen to him on the radio. I did it. I did it like some couple of games ago that I didn't like the, the broadcast <laughs> of the of the too. team, and then I I managed to to put the radio. Even he he gets to the to the DMs on Twitter, and he said, "Oh, you can listen me on radio, and then then just check with the with the TV if it's right." And then uh, yep. he did it more than once, and it's it's great. It's great. Yeah, it is. I also did the same. <laughs> it, it, it feels much better, you know. I don't want to listen to you don't uh, listen to the, the other team announcer. Exactly. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, I mean, even though Jack is the the Oilers broadcaster and he pumps, you know, the Oilers up, like I, I still think he is a pretty fair broadcaster overall. And but anytime you can have a uh, the announcer who watches your favorite team 
night after night for for many years you know you're going to have a little more of a, a connection to the oilers um, yeah for sure like uh watching in another broadcast is isn't the same thing like no. uh, i really don't like i really try to change and even go to the radio and do everything to make the the sound of the radio be all right with the tv like i already get the the tv signal like a little late from the the Canadian ones. I a lot of goals I know like 30 seconds before that it is a goal even yeah. for the other team. It's tough for me, but it's it's really great whenever I can. Like for me, Jack Michaels would be on every Oilers game broadcast. I wish that too. And like I said, he he called his 1,000th game last night. Hopefully, we'll have him for at least another thousand games too in Oil Country. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> He, All right. I would love to see that. For sure. Okay, well, we'll wrap up now. But before we sign off, uh, Diego, Gabriel, where can people follow you on Twitter? Um, for me, you can go to Edmonton Oilers Brazil in Twitter. It's uh, at EDM Oilers BR. There's a lot of, a lot of commenters. Of course, uh, uh, most of them are in Portuguese. Uh, the profile is made for the Brazilians fans that can get to you know the the hockey, the high hockey that isn't a, a really popular a really popular sport in Brazil. And of course, the Oilers, Conor McDavid, Dreisaitl, and everything show him how great it is to watch ice hockey, the NHL, and, and mostly Conor McDavid playing. It's like almost a lifetime experience. I like that you interact with the other Brazilian NHL accounts too when, yeah, no, uh, that, when the Oilers are playing a certain team. No, that's pretty great. Like for the the whole week, I asked the St. Louis Blues uh, about Conton Pareco, for example. We talk a lot about it. With the Arizona Coyotes, I'm always telling something about the, the Jacob Chitron situation. The but it's great it's great like we we really get to know each other like i i even interact a lot with the the Calgary flames like we we know that we are rivals on the ice but it's great to to find someone who watches ice hockey uh, in brazil it's a pretty pretty difficult thing to do and we have like a, a whatsapp group with a lot of oilers okay. fans in brazil like yeah always it's a lot of talking, a lot of things that people like are getting to know the team, are getting to know the the sport, the the trade deadline, how it works, how what is an LTAR, how how a how is a cap space doing? Like it's really great to to see the the NHL and and mostly the Edmonton Oilers growing even further in Brazil. Yeah, that's awesome to hear that the hockey community, especially the Oilers fandom, is growing in Brazil. Just out of curiosity, how many uh, Oilers fans do you think you have in your group chat? Uh, let me check. It's it's not a lot, but uh, it's a good uh, number. Let me check. I was that. going to check that right now. So we have 46. 46, yeah, 46 is a lot, though. Great. No, That's it's more great, than I would have thought. Uh, they, they were just talking about how the the Arizona Coyotes were beating the Calgary Fames right now, for example. So like yeah. they watch the Oilers and they, they understand the nature of it. Getting a live update on the podcast. The game will be over by the time this posts, but hopefully the, the Flames will have lost another game yeah. to the, the bottom-feeding Coyotes. <laughs> but, uh, and, uh, and like I said, that's awesome that, uh, you know, the hockey community, like I said, is growing in Brazil and that you have this group. Um, I love that you tweet everything out in Portuguese. I admit my Portuguese isn't great yet, so I do have to translate your tweets very often. But uh, oh, for sure. uh, it's awesome that you do that. And uh, Diego, where can people follow you? Oh, guys, you can find me on Twitter. So 
It's Diego PR Bajos, you know, with double R. No. And it's pretty simple. You can type Diego Bajos, you will find me. So I always interact with uh, people in English, you know, as most of my followers followers are are from other countries. So I normally interact with them in English, but I also interact with some accounts in Portuguese, with Gabriel in Portuguese, and also speaking in the Oilers group as well. So interact with people there. So by the way, there there was a uh, there were two members of the Oilers group who met, you know, uh, oh, yeah, they they were together uh, a few days ago, you know. One yeah, of they... them came to visit me here in in my city, but I couldn't see him. So he saw the other friend who also lives here, and it, she's an Oilers fan as oh, well. So uh, it. It is really good. It is a special group. So we they they are always interacting, as Gabriel said. They really like the Oilers. They're trying to learn more about the Oilers. So we we always talk there. So I I always talk to them, either in English or in Portuguese. Doesn't matter. Uh, we we always we're we're always talking about. Uh, one of our biggest passions here in Brazil, which is ice hockey. And they really, really talk. Like when there is a game, I don't, I don't open the the WhatsApp group, for example. I just focus yeah. on the game and post it on Twitter. When the game is finished, like there is, there are a lot of messages, like 200, 300. Like they really watch the game and comment every single, every single thing. It's really great, and to get even more and more people. And if you're thinking about uh, following Diego, think it's this personal account. He talks a lot about the Oilers. Like, so like 95% of uh, his Twitter is about the Oilers and his English. So it's really worth to follow him as well. He's really great. I really like oh, his thank comments. thank you, Gabriel. I really like his comments, his ideas about the team. They are really great. I'm not talking just because he's Brazilian and because he's here as well. I really, I really think he has a really, really great view and really great knowledge about hockey and the animal Oilers. I would agree for both of you. Yeah. Thank you, guys. So it, it, it's always it's always great to talk about something we have in common that it's this passion and love for the Oilers. One hundred percent. I think that's one thing that bonds everyone in oil country, and hopefully within the next uh, four or five months, we'll be uh, celebrating an Oilers Stanley Cup too. There's a long road to go, but I think that this fan base deserves it as much as anyone. No, it will come come sooner or later. 100%. We will see Conor McDavid lifting the the Stanley Cup in Edmonton for sure. Definitely. All right, guys. Well, I want to say thank you again for being on the podcast. And who knows, maybe we'll do another one of these come playoff time. No, for sure. It's always a pleasure, Eric. I remember you were the the first one, the first podcast, the first interaction uh, when I made with the Canadian fans, the Canadian fan base of the others were with you. I'm always grateful with you, Eric, and it's always a pleasure. It will be a pleasure to talk with you guys again in the future, and I really hope to to talk with you soon. It's going to be fun as always to speak about the Oilers again, especially during the playoffs. It's going to be even more interesting. So, I'm looking forward to the next show so we can talk again. For sure. All right. Have a good night, guys.
Thank you. Oh, thank you, Eric. Thank you, and you too. All right. So for Gabriel Cangino and Diego Pontes, I'm Eric Friesen. This has been the 99 Forever Podcast. We're out.